The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody tonight. So it's week six for our eight-week course on Dukkha, the studying the Buddha's teachings on unsatisfactoriness as a pervasive underlying truth. And, uh, you know, what the, that quote that I read at the beginning of the guided sit about it's the not seeing suffering that's the cause for suffering. So we've had lots of prompts these last six weeks from our reading, our study, our sitting, the talks and discussions. So we're likely to be more interested just noticing. And it's really that simple, like it's really nice to make things very straightforward. Is there a suffering being in the vicinity? Not like out there, but like in any way and at this time, am I this activity of me? Is it exhibiting signs of being a suffering being? Oh, well, that's interesting. If the answer is yes, oh, that's interesting. Let me get close to what I'm calling suffering. Or if the answer is no, I'm not suffering, that's also, of course, really interesting. You know, oh, so is this full and complete awakening, enlightenment? You know, could I teach the Buddha a few things? So just to get curious about the absence of dukkha. Right, so the study of dukkha isn't like uh, it's like we're interested in it, whatever its expression is in the moment. Absolute, apparently, absolutely no dukkha, lots and lots of it, heavy, heavy state of dukkha. Just to get interested and see what can be learned, and the idea isn't to somehow be free of pain, because hard to imagine what that would look like in life. Right, where we're of the heart, the sensitivity of our heart, constantly, constantly impinged upon by one experience after the other, never ending. Moments of really great stuff happening, moments of loss, pleasant experience, unpleasant experience. So that movement of pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality is going to happen. And as long as I have a conditioned mind, then every time I experience pleasantness, every time I experience neutrality or unpleasantness, it's going to trigger all that conditioning. So the only hope, in a sense, is to not be confused by this, whatever you want to call it, this existential situation of being a human being, being a sensitive being, constantly impinged upon, experience, mental, physical experience, and then each time there's contact, all the tendencies around that kind of contact will come flooding in. I don't know if people had a chance to read, but I thought I'd read a little bit from that um, section of the, it was actually an interview with uh, Venerable Analio, this German monk, 
and I sent it out last Monday. Let's see if I can find it here. So he's in residence now, Venerable Analio, at uh, the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies, which is on the campus of Insight Meditation Society, IMS in Massachusetts, and teaches there and uh, practices there. He's on retreat most of the time, writing one or two days a week, practicing the rest of the time, teaching a few times during the year. So um, part of that place, the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies, is this insight journal. They send out articles, I think, every full moon. Um, So you can get on that mailing list if you want. I think that's where this interview was published. So he's talking about, um, in the Buddha's discourse on mindfulness, he talks about being mindful of the body and how to be mindful of the body, how to be mindful of feeling tone, mind states, and the qualities that are needed to support insight, the factors of awakening, how to abandon any of the defilements or the hindrances and to bring into balance, to strengthen and bring into balance the factors of awakening. So it's basically being mindful of the body and the rest of this is mind. Feeling tone is a mental quality. Mind states, like is it a lot of samadhi or not so much samadhi. And then this particular map of abandoning the hindrances and developing the factors of awakening, the energizing and the calming factors. So the mind is alert, the energizing factors, and relax, the tranquilizing factors. And then the mind sees what it hasn't seen. So that's the whole sort of teaching on mindfulness there. And, um, you know, why does the Buddha emphasize? I mean, that's kind of really making feeling tone a big, like he he brings a lot of emphasis on being aware of what it feels like, the pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality. So normally just, to distinguish it from how we use feeling, because we use feeling a lot in English. So generally, when we're talking about this more technical meaning of feeling, we use the word feeling tone, or the phrase feeling tone, which means being curious about the pleasantness, because whether it's a mental experience or a physical experience, like a sound or a taste, smell, that's pleasant, the pleasantness has a real impact, right? It affects when I'm in the vicinity in the vicinity of an experience that's very pleasant. It has a very strong effect on my mind, just like a very unpleasant experience. And this is can be quite surprising until we pay attention. Neutrality also triggers a very deep conditioned response, which is basically to ignore it. But that's just as much as the response that we have when we see something that's really unpleasant and we're disgusted, you know, and we recoil immediately. We think, oh yeah, that's a reaction. But like, you're ignoring so many sensations in your body right now because they're neutral. That's just as much of a reaction as, you know, when you realize you have dog poop on your shoe or something on your foot. 
you know, and you might be disgusted, you might even gag a little bit as you try to clean it off, right? So there can be a very big disgust, which is what we have when something's unpleasant, you know, depending on the particular nature of that unpleasantness. But neutrality too, and that's where we'll go for week seven and maybe part of week eight, because this more subtle kind of dukkha, the sankara dukkha, is actually in some ways related to uh, understanding how the mind, like even when experience is neutral and we're not getting triggered by our liking and our disliking, it's still unsatisfactory, right? It's still not satisfying, neutrality. So we can, you know, just as a preview for homework this week, notice neutral experience. And notice if, uh, like, how the mind is relating. Notice the tension in being present, alert, intimate with neutrality. Like Teflon, you know, the mind doesn't really want to notice it. It's like when you started your training with mindfulness of breathing, right? It's like, oh, come on. Do I really have to be vividly, intimately present with that touching? Or can I just know that it's happening, right? Because we don't think like it's just neutral. I don't really have to be there. I don't really have to show up. And it just starts leaking into more and more of our life. I just don't have to show up. I know my partner. I know what they talk about. I just don't have to show up anymore to the conversations. I know what it's like to make breakfast. I don't really have to be there. You know, I know what it's like to put my clothes on. I know what it's like to walk the seven blocks from my home to common ground. I've been doing Buddhist studies now for a long time. I know what it's like to prepare a talk. I don't really have to be there to prepare the talk. <laughs> and on and on. you know. And all of a sudden we feel so disconnected from our lives. So part of Sankara Dukkha is seeing that there's no escape. Because a lot of times we might think, you know, initially we think, you know, just get rid of the pain. Like that's, I think I spent the first night uh, of the course going through the the Dart Sutta. I'll come back to Venerable Analio and read this. But uh, I think I mentioned the Dart, the second Dart Sutta, the first night of the course. Do people remember that? And so in that, the Buddha is saying that because we don't know what to do with pain, mental or physical pain, the mind develops a deep habit of needing pleasantness to help me feel safe with physical pain and mental pain. I need a reward. I need something pleasant. And because of this skewed relationship with pleasantness, it distorts the mind's relationship to neutrality because all of a sudden, because I'm in need of pleasantness to, to balance my exposure to unpleasantness, now all of a sudden neutrality doesn't matter because I need, there's a somebody who needs pleasantness. So the not understanding what to do with feeling tone 
changes the way the mind relates to all of experience, all of life. And this distorted way of being with life is what we call dukkha, right? That wheel that's out of true, that there's something just off. And then this is uh, Venerable Analio talking about, you know, why feeling tone, like why it's so impactful. Now, as we talk, we can make it sound like there's a choice around feeling tone. But in actuality, it just happens. We never really decide, oh, here's a feeling. Let me react with craving now. Or let me react without craving. It just happens. Why does it happen so quickly? Because feeling has this push. Right? And this is the thing to notice how quickly, how uh, quick the impact is of feeling tone. Like uh, dog poop's a good example, or whatever you find repulsive. Or, you know, if whatever you find attractive, you know, for some of you it might be gold coins. Like if gold coins spilled out of Joe's pockets, you know, just that color and the sound of them sort of spilling on the floor, you know, just, oh. I mean, even those of us who like, you know, it's not politically correct to like gold coins. But, you know, or a roll of of $100 bills. You know, it's like, oh. There's something like interesting, immediately riveting about that experience. Now, some of you maybe not that. Who knows? Maybe a snicker bar or whatever it might be. But it's just like notice or maybe even seeing common ground like walking in the building might be that way, the pleasantness of that. And really notice that push quality, like how much comes to the fore emotionally, other mental qualities and and, um, um, related experiences just sort of flood in. Because feeling has this push. Many thousands of years ago, say you were walking through a jungle and suddenly something in front of you, something is in front of you. For you to survive with a split second, you have to decide. Either this is too big for me and I have to run, or this is smaller than me and I can catch it. And this is where Vedana, right, feeling tone, comes in. The first perception gives a big push in one direction. And sort of as Ajahn Amaro, I think I might have mentioned this, I, I do regularly, but it's just a funny sort of version of what um, Analeo just said. You know, can I, will it eat me? Can I eat it? Can I mate with it? Like, because there's a lot of feeling tone around. And, and like, because the way the mind is conditioned around pleasantness and unpleasantness, it, it has this very skewed relationship that doesn't sort of fit the criteria of pleasantness and unpleasantness. Like if I can't mate with it, if I'm not interested in mating with it or having a relationship with it, eating it, or being threatened by it, it's like we don't notice it. You can walk down the street, so many things we don't notice. But if something shows up that the way my mind's conditioned is a threat, definitely gets my attention. Or something I'm interested in gets my attention each time. But think about what doesn't get our attention. 
a lot. And that's that sort of push because this uh, feeling tone, it was like used for survival, of course. What's relevant? And then anything else not relevant. And that's that hunger that I mentioned, I think, a couple of weeks ago, just that uh, the Buddha's, the translation of the Buddha's word that often gets translated as craving is thirsting. I think hunger is another good way. So the first, uh, he writes, the first perception gives a big push in one direction. And then the next paragraph he writes, but in our modern wor- world, we usually don't turn a corner in the jungle and meet an unexpected animal. So this very quick reaction through Vedana can create a lot of problems. You can't just stop it, but you can be aware of it. And that makes a world of difference. If I'm upset with somebody, I'm aware of the unpleasant feelings I have within me. It makes a whole world of difference how I will react to that person. If I like somebody, I see everything that he or she does in a positive light. If I'm aware of that pleasant feeling, it makes a whole world of difference. I become aware of my bias. Right, so these are these underlying tendencies that we can begin to be aware of. Right? How, so we're not thrown off. It's, not, it's totally okay to feel strong attraction or strong revulsion. But we want to understand it's just that feeling tone. Because it doesn't necessarily tell us how to be skillful in the moment, how not to plant seeds of suffering just because we're having a strong revulsion or strong attraction or that it's neutral. So he writes about these underlying tendencies. These are parts of the mind that underlie. We are not really conscious of them. They are tendencies toward reacting with defilements, with desire, aversion, and delusion. These are the craving, aversion, and delusion, the three unwholesome roots. And each of these three tendencies matches one of the feelings. Pleasant feelings can activate the tendency to lust, wanting. Unpleasant feelings to anger, aversion. Neutral feelings to ignorance. Because right? we're the, the basic predicament that we're in as a human being is we misunderstand feeling tone. I mean, there's different ways because the Buddha uses different maps to help us understand our existential situation. But one way, simple way to sort of sum up the problem for us human beings is we're living, we're sensitive, but we misunderstand the experience of feeling tone. We're taking feeling tone to be more than what it is. Like, you know, those times when we were, you know, we see it more in kids, but adults have their own version of it. They just maybe aren't so active. But, you know, when you see a child like so happy about something, right? It's basically they're either immediately experiencing some feeling tone or anticipating a pleasant feeling tone, which is itself the anticipation pleasant, right? And they can really we can really lose it, right? The exuberance, like, oh, I can't believe this is happening, this is going to happen, 
But you see, it's misunderstanding because we think that that pleasant experience, let's just assume we're right, that it will be pleasant, but we're assuming that the pleasant experience has impact that it doesn't actually end up having. Same with the unpleasant, where we can be so um, oppressed by some anticipated, actual anticipated unpleasant experience. And this is a nice thing to, you know, to sharing with each other and just being reflective how much pleasantness, how much unpleasantness has come my way. And it was, I don't know how, but I handled it. I mean, haven't we all experienced tremendous pain? And yet if it if the possibility arose again, we'd be quite afraid instead of, well, yeah, it happened before. It was really intense. It was really unpleasant. And then it went away. And it's, it's really like opening our mind to having a different relationship to feeling tone which is so central. Like just even contemplating this, you'll get some pushback because it's like, um, it just sort of threatens the underlying operation of the mind and body because it's so driven by feeling tone. So when you're with your honey or your good friend and they're just giving you a nice, really pleasant back massage and just how to do it, what points to push. It's just so easy to slide into indulging in the pleasantness and just to not to not be aware of the pleasantness, but to actually in being really, really intimate, really sensitive, aware of the pleasantness and in that sensitivity realizing it's just pleasantness. It's really hard with language because when I say, oh, it's just pleasantness, the only way we know how to interpret that is like some distancing, like detachment. But but the insight that it's just pleasantness comes from the exposure to the pleasantness, the unpleasantness, and the neutrality, like where we realize it's not more than what it is. It's just that feeling tone that arose due to causes and conditions will persist depending on those causes and conditions for a while and then will become something else. Like I said during the guided sit, feeling tone arises and passes away and it's not self. And you can do some version of that not as a command, like you're telling yourself what the truth is, but just opening the mind. Feeling tone. Seems like... Feeling tones in the past, they were there, persisted for a while, and then they changed, they ended, became some other kind of feeling tone. And in that sense, it's not really personal. Like you don't personally choose, like the things that delight you or the things that repulse you, you don't choose to be repulsed by dog poop or attracted to flowers or whatever your mind is conditioned to like. It's just been wired in through conditioning, right? What we find attractive. And it's different for each of us. 
You know, some of us like order. And other people get tight. They, they find order sort of um, oppressive when they walk into a house or come ground and all the cushions are neatly, you know, and it's like it doesn't feel good. Right? So it, that's how you know it's a conditioned phenomena because it's not the same. If you put a bowl of caviar in front of me, I would probably gag. I was one of those, you know, families. I mean, the closest we got to something from the sea were fish sticks, <laughs> which I'm not sure how much fish is in fish sticks. And even then, that was a long time ago. And just to, you know, be able to summarize our predicament, you know, either we're getting pushed around just to simplify it for ourselves, to remind ourselves, to inspire ourselves. Okay, I'm either being, I'm either unconsciously being pushed around by the different changing feeling tones, which is stressful. The image used in the tradition is one of those big, powerful ox, oxen? Do you say oxen? And that with the rings in their nose and uh, the way they've been domesticated, you know, even a small child tie a rope to the ring in the nose and that huge beast that's probably as strong as, you know, six strong human beings, maybe 10, 20 human beings, right? That it will all life long do whatever the little kid does because it doesn't want to feel that ephemeral unpleasant tug. Right? So it, and just think about how that works for us. Like we're really, like enslavement may be an actual, uh, an actually uh, accurate word here. Like when we think about how um, um, sort of tight we can get about getting warm when we're cold. Or if we get the little bug about chocolate in our mind, how many hoops we'll jump through to get the chocolate that the mind wants. Or if we put on an itchy shirt, or if we got a hangnail or some food between two teeth. You know, that subtle unpleasantness, it's like, I need floss. I can't go to the speeding without floss. I mean, we're just obsessively, the tongue will work until the tongue starts to get a little raw. You know, it's like, there's so much driven behavior around, this is addiction, right? That sort of, oh, it's afternoon and I haven't had anything sweet. You know, how can I expect myself to do work when I haven't been rewarded? And it's just really interesting to start noticing all the ways we are enslaved by the push and pull of pleasant and unpleasant, how it really drives the whole ship of our lives. And then you can start watching culture, you know, just like people generally, and just see that being played out and how the whole economy basically runs on this, right? Selling us stuff to get rid of unpleasantness, selling us stuff to get pleasantness. And that's that uh, flow of dependent co-arising. This is uh, some of you who've been in the sutta study group 
Um, it's a group that meets once a month, and uh, we read some of the discourses of the Buddha. And we've been studying um, Ajahn Buddha Das's book on dependent co-arising. But it's basically the Buddha answers the question: Okay, it really feels like there's somebody suffering here. So, you tell me it's a natural process. Tell me more about that. How this very personal experience of me suffering is actually just a natural unfolding. And so that's what the Buddhist teachings on dependent co-arising are. He talks about these links, this dependent or conditional unfolding that looks with, uh, when the mind's not understanding clearly, like me suffering. But it's actually just a very natural, conditional unfolding that begins with ignorance. And ignorance, like when we suffer, something's left over in the heart. What's left over? When we've really been thrown around by life, right? when the suffering goes away, there's something that remains in my heart. Like, I don't want that to happen again. So it's like there seems to be a me who wants to take control so whatever I just went through doesn't happen again. And in Buddhism we call that mental fabrication, concocting, mental formations. Like we got baggage. We've got leftover business. And that leftover business is I don't want to suffer. But from a very personal point of view, there's me and I don't want to suffer. So ignorance beget, begets this sort of force, this neurotic force, which in Buddhism, like the way the Buddha talks about it, sets in motion the next moment of consciousness tainted by that ignorance, by that stuff, those that concocting, like I don't want to. So I'm now aware and I'm aware of what? The mind and body. I'm aware of being a sensitive being that doesn't want to suffer, right? And here I am, sensitive human being through the eyes, through the ears, through the mouth, tongue and taste, nose, smell, even through the intellect, through thinking. I'm sensitive. So that means I'm constantly having sense contact, sense experience. And every sense experience has a feeling tone based on past conditioning, right? And because I'm, the whole thrust of me is I don't want to suffer, then I latch on to feeling tone. I'm trapped, I'm enslaved by it because it's like, oh, pleasant, oh, unpleasant, right? So that's the dukkha. That's the sort of more subtle dukkha. It's a setup. Because Having suffered left something, uh, left something, ignorance, right? The sense of a me who doesn't want to suffer. And that conditions the next moment of consciousness, the next moment of being a sensitive human being, experiencing sense experience that has a feeling tone. So whenever there's a feeling tone, I relate to the feeling tone with craving. And craving leads to me doing something about the craving, and that's grasping. And when I've grasped, when I've done something about my likes and dislikes, I've become the person who did something about my likes and dislikes. 
becoming. And when I become somebody, I am caught, right? Because I've acted as if feeling tone was more than what it is. And we always end up, like we think when we get rid of, do something to get rid of the unpleasantness, we'll be safe, but we aren't. Or when we do something to hold on to the pleasantness, we'll be safe, but we aren't. So that, the Buddha calls, the whole mass of suffering, birth and death. We did our best, but it didn't really save us. And all that's left is ignorance. We're reborn into the next moment, and it repeats itself. So that's the cycle. That's a short version. We do a whole eight-week course on dependent co-arising. I think it was just a year ago. Was it last summer? Maybe a year and a season ago. Um, So we'll come back up in five years or so. But see, that, so then the Buddha says, well, if you're going to break that pattern, really look at feeling tone. Bring mindful awareness to feeling tone. Because that interrupts the cycling. So then, because we can't help being born into ignorance, because it's already emotion. So here we are in the next moment of consciousness, the next moment of mind, contact, sense experience, feeling tone. But it doesn't have to go to craving, right? Feeling tone doesn't have to lead to craving. I can have really intense pleasantness and intense unpleasantness or neutrality, and I can be right in the middle of that. I can feel it. Now, of course, it's easier to start with not-so-intense pleasantness or not-so-intense unpleasantness. And, And just learn how to be really intimate with feeling. And really check it out like, oh, it's sort of like with, with desire, you know, because the last couple of weeks we've been looking at pleasant experience in particular, to really see that when there's something pleasant that you desire, that you can really, because the anticipating that you could get that, that it's available, that itself is already pleasant. That you can be with that pleasant, like, oh yeah, that show's on tonight. I could watch that tonight. Or there's ice cream in the freezer. And you could really, yeah, it would be totally okay to have it. And to really see that the the desire doesn't need gratification. It will cease without gratifying. Like things go away without somebody making them go away. The wanting, the not wanting... And then we, then we have this possibility of Sangha. You know, we say when we study the refuges, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, like we chant at the beginning, Sangha just means that enlightened activity. And Sangha arises then when we're not getting pushed around by feeling. Because here we, now I am free to participate in the moment, interact with people, pick stuff up, do this, don't do that, whatever. But not being enslaved by the feeling tone that's present in the moment. So now, like what I do and don't do, it could be all about joy and compassion and taking care of myself and taking care of others and doing beautiful stuff that benefits a lot of folks because I'm not obsessively getting pushed and pulled by the feeling tone triggering this and that tendency in my mind. 
So it, that's what we would call a saint, somebody who's operating in the world but not pushed and pulled by feeling tone. If something pleasant comes the way, they just, yeah, I can always see that. Something unpleasant comes away, okay, I'll receive that. But they're not spending their psychic energy trying to manage feeling tone. They're spending their psychic energy doing what needs to be done independent of the feeling tone. And there's a lot of freedom in that. It's like those of you, I'm just speculating, but those of you who raise kids, like I'm assuming that at some point if you're going to find any happiness in the role of being a parent, it would be nice to bring this up in your small group, which we'll have in just a moment, you know, of just surrendering, like not trying to make it pleasant or unpleasant or to avoid the unpleasantness, but just sort of completely submit to the next 28 years or whatever, of raising the child. <laughs> well, you know, especially if you have several, it, it, can t- it takes a while to get it all done. Because trying to derive pleasantness, it's like, you know how we see that sometimes the parents like want the cute phase to last and how, and, you know, how much suffering comes from that. You know, but just let, let go, just let it be what it's going to be. And, you know, this is true with everything, not just kids. It's just, you know, it's sort of the stereotypic thing of surrender, raising children. So the the basic topic with your small groups is just uh, any sort of reflections you might have around learning from feeling tone. The pleasantness, feel free to go back to unpleasantness, go ahead to neutrality, which we'll talk about the next two weeks. But, you know, our focus has been with pleasantness, but don't feel like you have to stay there. Like, and, and just how, like, examples of how you're just being pushed and pulled by feeling tone, enslaved by it, places in your life where you feel like you have some more freedom, like you, some space of non-reactivity, but really feeling what you're feeling, but not pushed around by it. And that, and that like, how many more degrees of freedom or how much more nimbleness there may be in those places in your life where there's less enslavement to feeling tone. So that's what I was thinking. But of course, anything related to your deepening understanding of dukkha would be appropriate in the small groups. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, Or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.